Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Hi, and welcome to week three of our series, Wise Up. And if you've missed the previous two weeks, don't worry, you can catch them. If you log onto our website, they'll be there for you. And please encourage you to check them out. But this week, we're looking at how we wise up to work. Now, please don't switch off now. Don't, this is now not the time to go into the kitchen and get your cup of tea, because this is not a boring topic, because I've come to realise how important, you know, our decisions can be when it comes to work. It's a much deeper and wider topic than I ever thought it was when we look at the Bible. And there's a load to say on this topic. And we've been using this line the last couple of weeks, if you've tracked with us. And the line has been this, we make our decisions and our decisions make us. But I want to add to that today if I can. And I want to say this to you that our decisions reveal something about ourselves, even when it comes to the world of work. And so the average person will spend 80,000 hours at work in their lifetime. That's a lot of hours, isn't it? 80,000. And I wonder how many different jobs are represented by you guys watching today. And if you want to put that in the chat right now, it'd be really interesting to see what kind of jobs are represented by you watching. But 25% of us also say, you know, that job or work is our main source of stress. And 64% of us say that we've even cancelled holidays for it, even though we know we've needed the break. So come on, let's be honest with each other right now. How many of us, even while we're on holiday, have found that sneaky way to check into our work emails or have checked our social media to find out and keep a hold on what is going on in our work life? Because work seems to be everywhere, doesn't it? We can't escape it. And before we get too deeply into this topic, I really want to say something to you today. When we hear this word work, it's going to bring up a whole range of emotions and experiences for us, especially over our last 12 months. Some of you will be feeling really overwhelmed and have felt the increasing pressure because of the types of roles that you have. You know, we've seen um, big news stories about our NHS workers and our social care workers, the pressure our teachers are under. But not just those, but also... I want to say a big thank you this morning to those of you that have made my life a lot easier over these lockdowns. You know, the shop workers, the delivery drivers, the postmen, you know, you know who you are. But the thing to do when it comes to this topic is that we can tend to start measuring our value and our worth against each other's occupations. And I don't want you to do that this morning. Why? Because some of you may have been furloughed. Some of you may have been furloughed more than once. Some of you may be watching today and thinking, I don't even know whether I've got got a job to go back to. And if I have, what is it going to be like? Some of you may even have lost your job through this period. But I want to assure you of something today. God has something to say to all of us, to all of us around this issue of work. And if you're sitting there and you're saying, do you know what, Jane, this doesn't really um, connect with me today because, you know, it's been a while since I've worked or I've retired. Let me tell you something. You will not find the word retirement in the Bible. That is a modern construct. We invented retirement because to God and for God, there is no retirement from the world of work. So what do we do with this concept of work? And some of you will still be working, caring for your families, caring for your communities, working for our churches. And whatever stage of life you're in, whatever stage of life you're in, we need to view this concept of view of work, which God created for us through the right lens. Because then it won't just apply to my nine to five. It will start to affect and shape every minute 
of my day. And if that's the case, then we need to be working wisely. So let's get into it today then. And we're using the book of Proverbs for this whole series. And it's written by King Solomon. And if you want to check out who he was, check out Leon's first talk in this series, Wise Up to Decisions, because he gave a great overview of Solomon there. But it's got a lot to say about working wisely. So I've got a question for you. A question for you today. Just think if you didn't know somebody very well and they didn't know you very well. And this was the question that they had is this, how would someone describe you if all they had to see was how you work? If all they had to see was how you work, would they be able to tell that you were a person of detail, that you took great care over stuff that you did, that you were methodical, you were thought through? Or would they see somebody who couldn't be bothered how you'd left something, that it was a bit shoddy, that things weren't completed? Would they be able to tell from how you work, whether you were sensitive and kind to people, or that you weren't bothered about the next person that picked up that job from you? Or if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus today, this is the bigger question. Would they be able to tell from how you worked whether there was anything different about your life at all? Would they be able to tell that you were a Christian? And I've got to admit to you today, I found that question a bit uncomfortable and I started to really look at it. Would I be pleased to have someone describe me based on the work I'd done this week? And it's the first thing I want you to get today. The quality of our work can reveal our character. The quality of our work can reveal our character. And my work can tell you what kind of person I am. I may not like it, but it's true. Just like the works that God has done can tell me what his character is like. His creation, how the universe is put together, gives me a really clear view and indication about what God's character and personality might be like. So if this is true, the book of Proverbs talks about work using two words that we don't often use in our language or even in our culture anymore. And if you've been tracking with us, Leon used this great battle in week one about wisdom versus foolishness. And this week, there's another battle going on. And it's the battle between these two words, the words diligent versus laziness. And we have this battle going on inside of us all the time. And we don't hear this word diligent very often. And we definitely don't want to be called the second one, lazy. So we're going to open up those two words today. And the first word, diligent, the wise work diligently. And what does that mean? Well, the dictionary tells me that it means a constant and earnest effort to accomplish what's been undertaken and showing care and conscientiousness. Now, we'll have people come to mind straight away and you'll think, oh, they're a really diligent worker. But the converse also will be true. There'll be people that come to your minds that really frustrate you because of their attitude to work. Listen, the wise work hard. There's no getting away from that. The wise work hard, but it still has to be a healthy approach. And working diligently does have its benefits. It brings resources Now, let's be honest, most of us work and we'll get money. Most of us work and we'll get money, but we don't work only, only for money. And the truth is that often in in a, in a global setting and across the world, when people work, that isn't always true, that there's wealth from that. But generally speaking, often those who do work well become wealthy. And Proverbs 10 verse 4 says this, "'Lazy hands make for poverty,' but diligent hands 
bring wealth. And we're going to come back to that concept a little later. If we work diligently, it brings reputation. Proverbs 22, 29 says this. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Diligence leads to skill, which can then lead to influence. But, and this is a big but, I don't work for reputation. I work and I will get a reputation. But then if we follow Jesus today, we're not just called to work hard, but we're called to work right. And a shoemaker once asked Martin Luther hundreds of years ago, he asked him this question. He said, how should I make shoes for the glory of God? And this is such a clever answer for Martin Luther. He said this to the guy, he said, make a good shoe and then sell it at a fair price. Make a good shoe and then sell it at a fair price. But working diligently does have its risks too. It does have its pitfalls. And that's why we need to become equally wise. Because sometimes work can become an idol. It can have more prominence. It can have more importance in our life than it was ever meant to have. Now hear me right today. I'm not saying that your passion, that your passion shouldn't be what you do for your job or your work. But when it captures more of your heart than it should ever meant to have captured, then we have a problem because it, be, it can become the primary object of my focus, my love and my energy. So here's a question for you to ponder. Can you think of times in your life when work has been given too much importance? And maybe then what the fallout has been around that because work is a terrible God, you know. It can never satisfy. Work will always demand more. It will want more to be done, more to be achieved. We need to work hard, but we need to work wise. And this second word, laziness. In Proverbs, it's, um, it says the word slogard, and we never hear that word anymore. It's a really old-fashioned sounding word, isn't it? But the Hebrew word is atzel, and it means unmotivated, lethargic, sluggish, basically working lazy. And the Bible says that laziness isn't a petty or trivial thing. Do you know what laziness can really affect other people? And there's two chapters in Proverbs 6 and 24 which really demonstrate this because it has 19 different verses about laziness. And Proverbs 6 looks at the ant and it says this in verses 6 to 9. Go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? And then Proverbs 24, 30 to 34 says this, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered in weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed. And what Solomon is saying there is basically, I let God speak to me about what I was seeing. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. Let's take a minute just to look at who Solomon was writing to. You know, what was in his mind when he wrote these two examples? Do you know what? I don't think it's, he was writing to the unemployed person. You know, the person that really wants a job but just can't find one for the reason. I think he's speaking to people who have a job but just aren't motivated in them. Aren't motivated in them. 
And a study I read recently put it like this, a person who is actively disengaged from work, we will do everything to shy away from using the word lazy, won't we? And so with the ant in chapter six, Solomon is being really direct and challenging and he's saying, go out, look, learn. And we're often called to look up, aren't we? We're told to look up, especially when we're a Christian. Look up, see God. But here Solomon is telling us to look down. Look down and we'll learn something. Why? Because Solomon is praising a work ethic. And then when Solomon is talking about the vineyard, he's telling us about a journey he's gone on. It's a personal experience he's had that he learned something on. And what's really great about wisdom is that we can take our experiences and we can apply that learning and it it can become wisdom to us. And what did Solomon learn? He learned that lack of diligence can lead to poverty. Why was that important? Because in those days, if you didn't work, you didn't eat. If you didn't work, you didn't eat. And he's a man with a vineyard that he'd let go. Thorns had come, the walls had collapsed. It had become unproductive. Now, I'm not saying we should work all the time. The Bible also talks about being careful about becoming a workaholic. Laziness is not our leisure time. I can be, have leisure and not be lazy because we all need time to work and a time to be free from work. But there are three characteristics of a lazy person that I really want to bring out to you today. And these are things that I can drift into too easily. Firstly, we won't focus on the task in hand. Have you ever asked somebody, when do you think get round to that project? When do you think get round to actually doing that thing? You know, sometimes we can do everything but the thing we've been asked to do. And the second thing is, we won't finish what has been started. The vineyard, remember that? The thorns took over, the wall collapsed. There wasn't a follow through. There were good intentions, but it was never finished. And there's always a reason that makes sense to somebody, isn't there? Why they haven't finished a job. And Proverbs 12, 27 says this, the lazy do not roast any game, but the diligent feed on the riches of the hunt. Here's a man, he's gone hunting, he's shot his dinner, he's brought it home, but then he can't be bothered to cook it. But then it gets worse because Proverbs says this in 1924, a sluggard, the lazy person, buries his head and hand in the dish. He won't even bring it back to his mouth. Can you see that picture? The guy has got his porridge in the bowl and he can't be bothered to lift his hand to his mouth to eat. And this got me thinking with a smile, you know, about tasks and jobs. And maybe we can all think of things today that bother you. You know, those things that you think, why hasn't somebody followed through on that? Why hasn't somebody completed that job? Why not put in the chat today what bothers you about things that people do that you just can't understand? Let me give you an example. I can't understand why somebody can take the dish to the kitchen, but just doesn't put the dish in the washing up or in the dishwasher. Why just leave it on the side? Or here's another one. You're in the toilet and you look down and the empty toilet roll is still on the holder and somebody has balanced the new one on top instead of just changing it round. Why don't we follow through? Why don't we follow through? So what things don't get finished in your house? And while you're typing away, I want to share a story with you today about where I've drifted into this lazy way of working. So when I was younger, um, my dad's pride was really in his garden. And he asked me one day, it was the summer holidays, 
He thought he'd better give me a job and he said, will you weed this patch of, of ground? And it, we were going to cover it with bark or pebbles. It was one of that was first coming in. It was really cool to have loads of bark all over your garden. And it was a real weirdy area. And I said, yeah, of course I'll do that, Dad. So he went off to work and I started and the sun was hot and it was back-breaking work. And I thought like every good teenager, stuff this, I ain't finishing this off. So what I did was I pulled all the big weeds out and cleared what I thought looked good. And then I just put the bark over it. What I'd done was I excused my lazy behaviour because I thought nobody would be able to tell the difference. So my dad comes home, sees what I've done, really praiseworthy, puts an arm around me, really gives me some good words of praise. It's great. You know what happens, don't you? A couple of months later, it looks like this. It looks like this. The weeds are coming through and he could see exactly what I'd done. My lazy behaviour hadn't done the job at all. And what did I have to do? Do the whole thing again and I was grounded. Because what happens when we're lazy is we start to live an unfulfilled life. And that isn't about necessarily um, material things or wealth. It's about what we feel like inside. So we may feel restless. We may feel unsatisfied. We'll feel discouraged. We'll feel frustrated. Why? Because we were born for much more than that. So in this world and this battle of diligent versus sluggard or laziness, do you know what? To counteract the laziness, all we need is a good dose, shot, vaccine of diligence. So in this world now, we're all diligent workers, aren't we? We're all on the same page. What are some of the wise things we need to remember then and we can do to stay that way? Four quick things. Number one, keep work in its proper place. Keep work in its proper place. Now, I know this can be really difficult at the moment. And we may be, be really struggling with our work during the last few months because you may never get a break from it. And even when you are off the clock, so to speak, your mind is still churning through loads of stuff. It's still on the job and you don't get the rest you need, especially when your work is contained within your home. Everything, schooling, family, jobs. Here's something I've discovered about myself over the last few weeks. If I never stop working, I tend to start hating my work because I feel it's the source of my misery. Do you know what I mean? It's like if only I didn't have to do that. If I only hadn't got to that one more Zoom call. If I only hadn't got to do that one last report. And the truth is, it's not. My lack of rest is. So maybe don't check your email after a certain hour and tell people you're not going to do that. Maybe tell your family that, you know, you'll say how your day's gone. But if I start taking you through it minute by minute by minute, you can stop me. You see, work isn't bad. It's meant to be enjoyable. But nothing is enjoyable when we're exhausted. Being tired is inevitable. I just want to say to you today, with all integrity, just make sure you're being tired for the right reasons for the right reasons. Protect your downtime. And if you want any more help about that, check out our website. There's resources and previous talks on whole topics around this issue. This isn't a one-off message. We need to keep reminding ourselves about this stuff. The second thing is this, learn to change what we can when it comes to our work and accept what we can't. What do I mean by that? My problem can be that I still try and change things that can't be changed, but... I accept bad things that I can have a voice about too. 
You see, every workplace can be improved, but every workplace is imperfect. And the Bible says that we can ask for wisdom. So maybe some of us today need to pray for wisdom to know if you need to accept something and just move on with it, or whether there's something you need to change about the situation you're experiencing. The third thing, don't leave God out of the workplace. And sometimes when we're confronted by situations in our workplaces, we can tend to forget, you know, that God is interested in everything we face when it comes to work. And sometimes the complexity or the pressures that we feel, especially over the last months, can leave us really feeling, what can God really know about 21st century problems? What can God really know? Is he really interested? And the potential to feel this can get greater as this season goes on. But there's never been a greater time to remember to bring God into our workspaces. But what does that really look like? What does that really look like? Well, let's hear from somebody now who's had to really dig deep in this area recently, because this is Hannah's story. As you can see, I'm joined by Hannah, who is a doctor. Uh, Hannah, just tell us about what you do as a doctor. So I'm a medical registrar, uh, which means that I see the patients that come into hospital with medical problems, so chest pain or shortness of breath. Um, I am in charge of the emergency team, so if there's a patient who's already in hospital who becomes unwell, I'll be running between emergencies to deal with that. Okay, well, it's always pressurised uh, on the NHS in winter time, but this year, unlike any other, what is it like out there? It's really hard. <laughs> it's so tough. Mm. Um, beds are full. Um, it's very busy. It's chaotic. Um, a lot of that is made much worse by the fact that the staff have very little left to give. Mm. Um, they're very tired. Um, and we're all just quite depressed, actually. Okay. Okay. Mm. With emotions, uh, I mean, it must be so hard. Uh, what are some of the emotions that you and your colleagues are going through right now? I think we're all just deeply sad. Yeah. We see far too much death. Yeah. I've never known this many people die and I've been a doctor quite a while now. Yeah. And I feel like I've got some ability to deal with death quite well. And yeah. In fact, I'm quite passionate about giving people a good death. Yeah. Uh, and even I can't deal with it. Um, yeah. So my colleagues who maybe aren't focused on that are going to be even yeah. struggling with that even more. Yeah. One of the things, uh, you must be incredibly tired, as we're just because of oh. the, you know, like you say, emotionally tired, yeah. physically tired. How, how are you coping with tiredness in your work at the moment? I mean, everybody gets tired at work, but how are you coping with the tiredness that you're experiencing right now? I'm smiling because I'm sleeping a lot. Okay. I'm actually just physically exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just sleeping yeah. many hours. Yeah. Um, emotionally, we're all very tired too, as you say. Yeah. So we're trying to deal with that by, um, talking to each other, yeah. trying to be kind and compassionate to each other. Mm. Uh, we're dealing with that with trying to speak to friends as much as possible, but we've got the constraints of not being able to see people, go yeah. out, socialise, yeah. let off steam. Um, and I'm drinking a lot of coffee. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hannah, you have faith yeah. and in God. What's that look like through this season as well? Uh, in, in work, dealing with all that you're dealing with, what does that look like for you? It looks different, yeah, for sure. Um, my faith has taken a bit of a battering. Yeah. Um, it's quite difficult to see God and hear God when everything around you is chaotic. Yeah. Um, and uh, standing in the gap between a patient and God, what I mean by that is like if you're praying for them or trying to do your best for them and God's in that space with you, 
It's quite difficult at the moment and mm. I've, I've really struggled with that because it was mm. how I worked and yeah. I don't really have the resource to do that now. Yeah. Um, so I try and pray, uh, I try and seek God in this mm. and try and find his goodness but it's really hard. Yeah. And I know you, you, you have a passion for older adults as well, and, but in this lockdown now, this season now, it's, it's been older and younger people and that, that must be hard as well. Yeah, it's really hard. So I definitely feel I've had training to deal with um, becoming end of life when you're yeah. an older person. And um, as much as I love older people, it's much more shocking when a younger person becomes yeah. unwell and if they die. Yeah. And then you have telephone conversa conversations mm. to break bad news. When people are younger, that feels entirely inappropriate, and yeah. that's really hard to deal with. Yeah. I, I want to see that person face to face, I want to be able to read their emotions, I want to be able to anticipate their questions, yeah. I want to be able to tell them the worst news they've ever had, but in the best way possible, mm. and I, I can't do that over the yeah. phone. Yeah. Wow, so hard. Hannah, how can we pray for you? You know, we're not where you guys are, and, and not just for you, but for your colleagues as well. Some of them will have faith, some of them won't, but how can we pray for all of you and for the NHS at the moment? I think there are great, more obvious prayers, strength, resilience, resource, time, energy. Yeah. Um, but I also think, even though we're all feeling a bit apathetic, we need to pray big prayers right now. Yeah. And it needs to be that coronavirus comes to an end. Yeah. Actually, really needs to happen now. Um, and pray for government that they make wise choices where yeah. God is at the centre of them, even if they don't realise that God is at the centre of them. Um, and pray for, for resource, actually, for when this is through, yeah. because the NHS needs a lot of kindness, compassion, and actually yeah. money to be able to deal yeah. with the post traumatic stress that's yeah. going to follow. So, prayers yeah. for all those things would be great. Yeah. That's so powerful and so wise as well, Hannah. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. And let's keep praying, not just for you, but for your colleagues and for the whole NHS. Thank you so much. And that's the reality of somebody's world right now. That's a window and a picture into their experience. But before you disqualify yourself right now, maybe feeling bad about how you're feeling, thinking, well, compared to Hannah, you know, I really shouldn't be complaining. Um, and before you start measuring the value of what you do against what you've just heard, I need to tell you something really important today. God is as interested in being invited into your workplace with you as he is to be with Hannah today into every hospital, every school, every office, every shop, every home, wherever you find yourselves today. And more than that, some of the things that Hannah was sharing there, about how she was feeling, about some of those emotional responses, you will be feeling those too, even though you're not a doctor. And you know what? That is okay. And I don't know about you, but there've been genuine times over the last year when I've been really anxious about my work. And you may be at that place right now for lots of reasons. But what I found is this, my anxiety is often because I've forgotten something about God. You know, a principle that, that I know already in my head, I've just not paid enough attention to what I already know. And I've left God out of my workplace experience somewhere. And this is where I found being part of a connect group really, really important and valuable. And connect groups are our small groups that we have within our church family. And if you're not connected to one, please contact the church through our website. We would love to be able to connect you with other people and other groups. And if you've stopped going for any reason, I want to encourage you, why not pitch up this week? 
why not go this week? Because I tell you what, it's a really wise thing to be part of a bigger community because it helps to remind me and bring me back to what I already know to be true about God because I do wander off a little in the week. And you can do that today. You know, if you're feeling anxious or itchy about something, is there somewhere you are not paying attention to God? Because this last point for me underpins everything else that I've said today. And it's this, following Jesus will bring purpose to every job. Following Jesus will bring purpose to every job because who we work for is far more important than what we do. Every day we work Every day we work with serving God and that should bring a purpose. Whether I'm a CEO, whether I'm a sales assistant, assistant, a banker, a stay-at-home parent, postman or any other job for that matter in between. Every job has value because it's done to honour God and more than that, our jobs matter to him. He doesn't measure my significance and your significance based on the job I may or may not have today. If you're making money, If you're making any money and you are providing for the needs of your family, let me say to you, that is a truly honourable thing to be doing. To trying to pay your bills, to put in a hard day's work, that is an honourable thing to do. To do. Because following Jesus can bring us joy in any of our work. In any of our work. And I just want to leave you today with one story. And it's this, it's about a guy called Stradivarius. Now you may or not have heard of him, but if I say Stradivarius to some of you, you will think of this instrument, a violin, a violin. And he's famous because they're worth millions. I think one sold recently for a few million pounds. So they're really, really rare. And when Russ and I moved into our home, you check out your loft space, don't you? And, um, and they'd left some stuff in. The previous owners had left some stuff in there. And we found um, a battered violin. And our first thought was, we looked at each other, we blew the dust off it and we thought, oh, is it a Stradivarius? Well, it obviously wasn't. It was, it was probably 30 quid to get it repaired, but it wasn't. But I just want to tell you about Stradivarius and why, he, why his violins were so expensive. He used a kind of wood and the way it was cut and put together. So his craftsmanship and the wood that he used created this instrument that was second to none. The tonal value in it was huge. But here's the more important part of the story. And here's the bit nobody knows, really. It's never really publicised. He believed that every violin that left his workshop had to be as perfect as humanly possible because he believed God needed violins to send his music into the world. And if it was defective in any way, then God's music would be spoiled. What a work ethic. Now, do I want to be someone who just cranks out 30 pound, just good enough violins? Or, or do I want to be the person who says this is God's music? I'm doing this for God. So then you see, you're not just pushing paper. You're pushing paper for God. You're not just seeing patients in a hospital. You're seeing patients for God. You're not just running that business because just because you're running it and you follow Christ, you're running it for God. He's the motivation behind why we want to work hard, why we show ourselves to be good employees, but also need to show ourselves good employers because my heart wasn't made to find my joy and purpose primarily in what I do, but in who I do it for. And we're going to finish with a song today called Another 
in the fire. And this is a song about the in-between times. I love this song because it talks about times when I may not know the outcome and I may be feeling the heat somewhere, but do you know what's standing right next to me? Even if I don't feel it, is God. And so I wanna ask you today, where might you be feeling the heat right now? Where may you have forgotten to bring God into your workplace? Wherever you find that, whether that's at home, whether it's actually in an office, whether it's in somewhere like a hospital or social care setting, where might you be forgetting to take God in? Do you need to rediscover your joy today in who you're working for, rather than trying to find it solely in what you do? And if that's you this today, I wanna pray for you right now, if I can be so bold. Father, I wanna thank you that every job has its significance to you. That God, you don't measure our value and our worth on what we do. And I thank you for that. But God, we, you have created this thing called work that most of us will be engaged in today. And Father, where we are feeling the heat right now, where maybe we feel overwhelmed, where maybe we feel that we don't know the outcome, where Father, we do not know whether we're gonna have a job to go back to in a few weeks time. Father, we just wanna invite you into that experience with us. Help us to know where we need to make changes. Help us to know where we need to accept things and move with them or where we need to maybe speak out and make a change for them. Help me view what I do as a blessing rather than something that's a chore because I'm doing it for you. Would you forgive me, God, if I've forgotten to take you into my workplace with me and I've left you out of my decision making? Would you let me know, Jesus, where, that you're with me in the fire, right in that situation with me and that I'm not alone? We just invite you to do that right now, Holy Spirit in the ways that only you can right now in people's living rooms and bedrooms and wherever they're watching this and whenever they're watching this. In Jesus' Name. Amen. And when we remember to involve God in our workplace, we are never ever working alone.